Wine you. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wine You Wish Upon a Star, your favorite Disney fan cast. I'm your host, Joe Peo. I'm your other host, Brenna Peo. And for those of us who, I always do that. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, we are a Disney fan cast. And what do we do, Brenna? Well, we are in no way affiliated with Disney, but we love to watch the Disney animated movies in theatrical release order. And we talk about them while drinking lots of wine. Yeah, and that's what we're all about. For this episode, we watched The Aristocats. Why, yes, we did, Joey Pale. And we drank ourselves some fat cat wine. What is a fat cat wine? Well, based on the label, it is a rather rotund feline that is sitting at the piano with sunglasses on. And he's playing some music. There's some music notes coming off of it. Uh, but in the wine world, it's also a Cabernet Sauvignon uh, 2016 from California. doesn't specify more than California. Oh, Napa. It's a Napa wine. Cellared and bottled by Fat Cat Cellars in Napa, California. Okay. I mean, what did we pay for this one? It was like a $7 bottle. Yeah. And it sort of tasted like a $7 bottle. I thought it was a little better than $7. I guess. I mean, like, I guess I expect like a $2 bottle to be like poo. And then like... We don't have to say poo. Usually default to poo. We don't need to. But like a $7 bottle, I guess I expect it to be a little better than poo. And this was better than poo. (laughs) I'll start over. (laughs) So I guess for a $7 bottle, it wasn't terrible. Like, it's not like I, like, drank it and was just like, mmm, this tastes like poo. But... (laughs) (laughs) I'm really starting to think that because this is the baseline, you've drinking a lot of poo. Candlelight, like it's really getting me. <laughs> so I guess for <laughs> no, I can't start it laughing. No one's gonna know I'm laughing because you won't let me say the word poo on our podcast. <laughs> you keep saying it every single time. We drank poo. It's if zero I, is poo and ten is justification. It was like semi poo. I have never said poo in our podcast. Yes, you once. have. I have not. When did I say poo? I mean, besides talking about Winnie the Pooh, that's different. That's P-O-O-H. This is P-O-O, sometimes P-O-O-P, sometimes P-O-O-P-I-E. Did you want to say the wine tasted like poo? If no. you do, I will not stunt your No, I was integrity. saying it wasn't poo. I will start over. <laughs> <laughs> so we paid about $7 for this bottle. And I would say, like, for a $7 bottle, it's not terrible, but I wouldn't say it was super great, and maybe I wouldn't reach for it again if I was going out with friends. But it it wasn't bad. Like, it didn't make me, like, gag or spit it out. It just kind of was your run-of-the-mill $7 bottle. What did you think? I'd say it's, I, I would call it something like a starter wine, like, for people who aren't used to drinking wine, because I didn't think it was, like, incredibly offensive, but at the same time, nothing to write home about. Just middling, I would say. It was a little extra sweet for me. I don't know. Fair enough. But 
What I didn't think was mediocre was Aristocats. This is, guys, this is incredible. Brenna is actually excited about something having to do with cats. Okay, because it's not real cats. Like, these aren't cats that are hiding under the couch trying to, like, swipe my ankles off. True. There's only one scene where the cats actually act like cats. For the most part, they act like dogs through the whole thing. Like, this could be the Arista dogs. That doesn't quite have the same ring to it. It really doesn't. The only time that the cats actually act like cats are later on in the movie when they're threatening a mouse. Other parts of it, they're pretty harmless. So let's jump right into the movie. The Aristocats start out as the Aristocrats, and then the cats steal the R. They run off with the R, and it becomes the Aristocats. Uh, Sherman Brothers, all the music, once again, and Rutherford... B. Hayes, the president. No, what was the director's name? Wolfgang Reitherman is back uh, directing. There we go. I was sort of close. <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to point out is that the first credit that you actually see is when the song starts and you see the title, you hear this voice singing and he's singing the song about, you know, it's called like, it's the, Aristocrat- the Aristocats. And this is the theme song. And the first credit to come up is that this song that you're hearing right now is being sung by Maurice Chevalier. So Maurice Chevalier, ooh. Fun fact time. Oh, first one. Already out the gate. Whoa. (gasps) (gasps) Sorry, I had like, (laughs) I had like a tummy bubble and I didn't want it to happen like in the middle of the fun fact. Yeah. So I would be like, fun facts. (laughs) Okay. Fun facts with Joe Payo. Fun fact. Yeah. The Sherman Brothers wrote the theme song, and they really, really wanted to hire Maurice Chevalier to sing the song. He is a famous uh, French singer and actor. I remember seeing a film of his called Les Girls, which is a really kind of Excuse funny... Excuse me? It's like Les Girls, like L-E, but L-E-S, but it's, it's, it's an old musical, like one of those old par- or MGM musicals where there's all a lot of dancing and a lot of colors and everything. And he's walking among them singing, and he's just... If you've heard, ever heard a French singing voice from that time period, it's probably Maurice Chevalier. Uh, he was the inspiration for Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Hmm. He has that voice. It's so recognizable, which I can't do right now because I'm bad at accents. <laughs> You're usually a lot better. Usually. Unfortunately, at this time, Maurice Chevalier had retired completely from doing anything. And so the Sherman brothers had to beg him to come out of retirement to do the song for this movie. And he agreed. And because of that, this ended up being the last movie he was involved with before he passed away. So this was his very, very last project, was the theme song for The Aristocats. Movie starts. It's Paris, 1910. Cats riding in carriages. Carriages rolling down streets. Horses with hats. (laughs) Butlers with jackets. It's quite the scene. The cats are very well behaved, and at the end of the carriage ride, they thank the horse, whose name is Fru-Fru, for letting them ride on her back. The main lady is named Madam, and she goes into her giant house, and she says that her 3,000-year-old attorney will be arriving soon. There's a bit of a comedy bit. He falls down the stairs. Her house has an elevator. I'm not sure. I don't super enjoy all the slapstick too much, and they... This movie went a little more into slap sticky than I was willing to handle. The lawyer shows up, his old man George, 
and he's singing Tara Rabum Die, and he's just trying to get up the stairs, but he's also singing to himself, and he's trying to dance. Edgar's trying to help him up the stairs, and it takes a while for him to get up the stairs. Like, there's this whole thing where he's he's pulling him up, and then he fa- starts falling down, and he tries to steady himself on the rail, and he starts sliding down. It takes a little too long. Anyway, he gets up to Madame's room, and she says, I'm so glad you're here. You're my trusted lawyer. And he's all over the place and saying, like, remember when we were younger and we used to dance and all the time, remember us just dancing? And he's just dancing around for no reason at all. Well, no, but she's super into it, though. Like, they lock eyes, and there's something between the two of them, because even the cats see it. Like, even Duchess is like, oh, 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 like, looking between the two of them. Although they really can't, because that's what we find out would be the uh, antithesis of what the movie is about, which is that she has no family, she has no familiars, she's not planning on marrying, she only has her cats. She has invited her lawyer there to draw up her will, and she says, everything goes to my cats. Everything. My estate, my investments, stocks and bonds, everything goes to my cats. And then, after my cats die, it goes to Edgar, my butler. She says it's expected that Edgar's going to take care of them until they die, but once they die, the butler gets everything. He is eavesdropping on this conversation from his servant's quarters as he's trying to iron his pants, and he starts freaking out to himself. And he's saying, oh, I have to take care of the cats, but oh, the cats are so young, and they're going to live forever, and they have nine lives. I'm going to be dead before the cats are. I have to do something about this. And thus sets up the entire plot for the movie, which, not going to lie, seems like a real thin plot for a movie. Because if you think about it, all you have to do is take care of like five cats. Well, four cats in the beginning. And then you can have access to millions and millions of dollars, or Paris dollars, which are... Francs? Francs. In 1910? I think so. Millions and millions of francs. And all you have to do is, like, set out food for cats. Like, you don't even have to take care of cats. Like, I mean, I've never had a cat because I don't enjoy dying of cat scratch fever, but... I feel like my friends who have cats, like, they're not very high-maintenance pets. Also, here's the thing. Edgar is maybe, what, about 40 years old? Yeah. And That's what I would guess. Of course, because he's taking care of the cats, he gets to live in the mansion. The cats, to take care of them, it would probably cost, in present-day American dollars, about $20 a week to take care of them. At most, to take care of four cats. And the rest of it, you live in the estate. You can buy your clothes. You buy your food. You can buy anything because this is all in the interest of taking care of the cats. It's not like the cats are making the spending decisions. You live however you want to while taking care of cats. But he's acting like he would still, like, live in the butler's quarters and have his, like, only his salary while the cats are alive. And maybe there's something we missed in the fine print of this will But this sets up the weakest premise thus far for a movie. Because then he's like, well, obviously, I need to kill the cats now. Which also, I'm like, so why don't you just wait till she dies? Because you can't have Madam's money until after she dies anyway. I was wondering about that too. So why don't you just wait till she dies, then just kill the cats? Because when he goes on his sort of, when he starts his plotting and everything... It doesn't really show that any time has passed. And so possibly this could be after she's already gone 
and he's already and then he starts scheming but it doesn't because she wakes up the next morning and she's like oh my cats are gone so after edgar decides to kill all the cats or he doesn't even decide to kill them he's like well i'm just gonna get rid of them which again if you're gonna get rid of the cats you might as well kill them i guess like i he doesn't even kill them in the house he's like i have to take them so he concocts this plan where he's going to put sleeping powder in their cream, which is called, he calls it the creme de la creme de Edgar. De Edgar. At this point, we start to get to know the cats, like the actual cats. And I, I didn't catch their names at first. It kind of had to be a, a little bit of them interacting. So there's the mother cat, which is Duchess. Uh-huh. There are the boy cats. There's Berlioz. Ber- Ber- and Toulouse. I assume Berlioz is, he's a musician, and Toulouse is the painter, and Marie, the youngest, is a girl, and she is, like, the singer. Ladies do not start fights, but they finish them. She roughhouses with the boys, and Duchess says, that is no way to be a lady. Um, where's their dad? Gone. Also, uh, cats, three different colors. Different dads? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Marie looks exactly like... Duchess. She's white cat, completely white. And then there is a black cat and an orange cat. I don't know how cat genetics works specifically, but I assume that they would take on the traits of the parents. Well, I've done extensive research into cat genetics. And you see that cats are not actually born in normal ways. And instead, they are hatched in eggs burrowed under the earth inside of volcanoes. And so they're actually... The color they come out um, is based on how close to volcanic rock their eggs were buried when the mother flew in for breeding time. This has been (laughs) Fun Cats with Brenna Peyo. (laughs) You just turned your head so far I heard your neck crack. Because I'm so confused. (laughs) I think you're explaining pterodactyls from Land of the Lost. Oh, wait. Was that not what we're talking about right now? Cats. Terra cattles. Well, now that sounds like winged cows. I'm on board. So we're meeting some of the cats' personalities and their painters and musicians, and Duchess is like, we must better ourselves. Then Edgar comes in with their creme de la creme de Edgar, which is he's roofing them. And in comes Rockford. Rockford is a mouse, and he, he sees them drinking cream. He runs back into his mouse hole and comes out with a cracker on his back, like a Ritz cracker. And he walks up to them, and for a second you think, oh, this is going to be a little Tom and Jerry moment. But he just says, um, excuse me, do you mind if I join you? Uh, you see, I've, I, I really enjoy the cream. And they were like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Please, come join us. And he says, the funny thing is, I've brought my own crackers. And it's just like one big cracker. And they're saying, fantastic, come on, join us. And so he's like dunking like pieces of the cracker and he's eating it. And he's just num, 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 num. And see, you think that Rockford is a mouse, but when you close your eyes, he is none other than Winnie the Pooh hiding again in another form. First, he was a Cheshire cat. Then he was a snake. Now he is a mouse. Yes, this is the return of our good friend, Mr. Sterling Holloway, playing Roquefort the Mouse. And this is closest to Winnie the Pooh performance that we have heard yet. He sounds just like Winnie the Pooh. I mean, it took me a couple scenes to realize it, which actually made me, like, 
pretty disappointed in myself because it wasn't until like the middle of the movie that I was like, dang it, it's Winnie the Pooh again. And then Joey just goes like, ah. Well, it's because later when, spoiler alert, the cats go missing and he starts getting really upset and really worried about them that he really busts out the Winnie the Pooh, just the that really downtrodden and all is lost sort of voice. There you go. It's Winnie. Well, I guess he was finished killing children in the last movie. So now it's time to get roofied with some cats. So, of course, they all have the milk. They all fall asleep. And Edgar gathers up all the cats because Rockford made it into his little mouse cave before he falls asleep. All the cats are in a basket. And Edgar's like, here we go. Thus starts another slapstick session. A very, very long scene with two... uh two hounds Lafayette and Napoleon who live in a windmill and sleep next to haystacks and they wake up when they hear the motorcycle coming down the street and they start making a battle plan of how they're going to attack the motorcycle the thing is I'm not I'm still not quite sure what their goal was in this I thought it first may be the thing of just oh well they're dogs and so they just have to bark and keep things away but they start planning where one of them says all right I'm going to start going for the the leather seat. And the other one says, oh, you always go for the soft bits. And so it's like they're going to try to eat a motorcycle? Well, no, I think they're just going to attack it. Like, they're just like, we have to attack it. Because the one dog was like, we've already bitten eight wheels and two rumps today. So these dogs just attack people when they come down this road, which makes me think, like, no one's killed these dogs yet. Like, I feel like if there was a road in my town where, like, I knew if I drove down it, two dogs were going to attack me, I'd probably get those dogs taken care of. By the way, up until this point, everybody's accents seem vaguely European. It takes place in Paris, so we can assume that they're translating what the humans are saying from French to English. Everybody's just a little British or upper class. We see these two dogs, and they're from Louisiana, just deep south. Yes, like (laughs) deep, like deep south. How far did that motorcycle go? Like, it went into the bayou. Anyway, the scene is slapsticky. The suspenders are pulled again. The motorcycle breaks and then gets back together. I don't know, but basically the cats get left by a river in a basket, and Edgar makes off in part of the motorcycle. Well, one thing that I wanted to point out, just because I was, at this point, I I was uninterested because this obviously had nothing at all to do with the story. It was all kind of drawn out, a little like how we felt about Sword in the Stone, where it was just kind of a lot of slapstick. But I was trying to look and grasp for some kind of artistic integrity in this. But there are some moments where they're experimenting with some animation technique like when the motorcycle is kind of coming towards camera there's this kind of 3d effect where it looks like the background is going further and further into the distance while the motorcycle is is moving forward that was really interesting but it was really hard to kind of focus on that because it was just really quick cuts of just dogs chomping butts and stuff it was a lot of dogs chomping butts and they get stuck on the windmill so they're getting flown around and they're chomp, chomp, butts, butts, landing windmill. on the sidecar that's slams into a tree and then like popping off and riding on the handlebars of the motorcycle it's just way too much it's too much yeah it wasn't their best slapstick comedy bit like i feel like jungle book the whole scene with the monkeys was way better than this and that was between like monkeys and a bear 
After the whole hullabaloo, we check back in with the riverbed where the bassinet with the cats has overturned, and the cats are kind of gathering themselves up, and of course the sleeping powder is wearing off, so they're saying, where are we? What happened? And they're trying to find each other. One of them gets scared by a, a frog. All hope seems lost. The kittens, Duchess, they're by the river. No one can help them. The storm is coming down. Lightning strikes. They all huddle in the basket. The movie ends. Everyone dies. Nope, nope, not not what happened at all. Oh. Because what ended up happening was that morning comes, and guess who shows up? It's Baloo. Baloo shows up. (laughs) Oh, okay. His animation even looked like Baloo. I was even thinking that. I was like, he's like walking like he should be telling us to walk like him. So this orange, like him. so this orange alley cat comes walking up. How do we know? Because he's singing a song about who he is, as if it were a moment from the movie or the musical Cats. Your favorite? It's not my favorite. It was your favorite movie. You loved it so much. You saw it twice. Ugh. But I mean, to be fair, I only remembered one of them. <laughs> this cat comes walking up, just kind of singing like, "My name is such and such and such and such and such and thus and something Peter and something O'Malley, but you can call me O'Malley. An alley cat named O'Malley. Okay, I love the fact that, like, we can't really sing this song for legal reasons, but you took the time to say the amount of somethings that is the beat in the song. Like, the amount of somethings he says, you say the somethings. Well, there was a lot of it. It's like he's trying to say, my name Bill S. Preston Esquire kind of thing. He's, he's just going, 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 but he just goes by O'Malley. And he's an alley cat. And he's this orange cat, but he is definitely not the father of one of the cats that's also orange. If you were going to make your name be part of that song, what would be your entire O'Malley cat name? The entire O'Malley cat name. Yeah, like if you needed to add extra names to your name to be an O'Malley cat. Uh, So it'd be like, my name is Porkins McStuffins Jr. the third to the fifth power... Xavier, Excalibur, Excelsior, O'Malley. Wait, you didn't even add your name in there at all. Oh, I thought you were saying I'm me as in like I make it up as if like I'm making up the name. And like nowhere in there did you even say Joseph. Why would I say my own name in that? Well, but like. This is my comic book character. Name's Joseph Wolverine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, wait. But now I want to read a comic book about Joseph Wolverine. He clenches his fists and number two pencils come out. So good at the SATs. He can do like three crosswords at once. <laughs> the the people, the New York Times, and the Entertainment Weekly. He's so smart. <laughs> oh gosh, this is quite a tangent. <laughs> well, I mean, as much as I enjoy this movie, it's kind of boring to talk about. Yeah, we talked about it a little bit with some of the slapsticky stuff. It eats up a lot of time when there are these physical comedy moments. And the plot is not driven forward. You can make a short movie that encompasses everything that happens in this. I mean, it is cute to spend time with some of the characters, but overall, not much happens. It takes place over the course of maybe about a little over 24 hours. And it's just, the cats are taken, their kidnapping is bungled, and they get home. Okay, so I've watched this movie multiple times over the years because I used to babysit this kid that loved to watch it. And I never, like, when I babysat him, I never didn't like this movie. It wasn't like I watched this movie, I was like, ugh, Aristocats again. Like, I was always like, oh, okay, it's fine. 
But I guess I didn't remember it that well because I thought there was more standing between them and home. Like, I thought it was more like a homeward bound thing where they had to, like, overcome more things. But really, they didn't. They just walked home. And sometimes they tried to get on a car and they were knocked off by the driver. And there was a lot of cute stuff about, like, Duchess and O'Malley flirting. That was the greatest part. Yeah, especially because... Marie would kind of catch on to what's happening, like the flirtation, and she would just like swoon and say, so romantic. Like that's kind of her catchphrase through the whole thing. I mean, she's clearly smarter than her brothers. Like Tulis and Belus, they're dumb. They're just straight dumb. But like Marie is like way smarter and picks up to social cues and will even tell them like, shush, we're watching something. And like the relationship that you see build between Duchess and O'Malley is really quite sweet. Because at the beginning, he's trying to just, like, be like, oh, your eyes are like sapphires. Come here. Like, I really like you. Oh, you have kittens? Uh, no, I'm good. And then it progresses to, oh, I really like your kittens. Oh, your eyes really are like sapphires. Oh, I really like you. And even the way that Duchess responds to him is very interesting because she is kind of like, she's a protective single mom, but she doesn't freak out. Like, When O'Malley's hitting on her, she's just like, oh, you're so sweet. But if you're going to try to sweep me away, you got to bring my kids too. And when he freaks out, she's like, okay, well, I'll see you later then because my kids are my world. And then later on when he's saying like, you can live the bohemian lifestyle with me. We can live here. She's like, no, we've got a comfortable life. I've got my owner and we've got a life there where it's like I take care of her. She takes care of me and I got my kids. So I can't really just kind of step away from it all as much as I would love it. Well, and I think that their relationship is the best part of this movie, but we do get to meet some fun characters. Like, at one point, there's some geese that we get to meet, and man, those geese are a hot mess. Like, if you ever liked geese, which nobody should, you would really not like these geese. Like, they're just two twins from Britain that are making a walking tour of France, and they go to Le Petit Café to pick up their uncle, who's drunk because the meal of the night was goose basted in white wine so basically he got drunk they tried to shave him so they could cook him and he freaked out and they threw him out of the restaurant well yeah they they like his tail is is totally plucked he didn't get thrown out really or i guess yeah they did they threw him out with the pot they chased him around the kitchen and they're just like and stay out it was like when the chef tries to kill uh sebastian yeah or like a scene from ratatouille where they just like chase him around. Although in this, they're he wasn't try- they weren't trying to cook Remy, but yes, the- they were to cook Remy. The goose? No, they I'm pointed- talking about Ratatouille. Remy is the oh rat. oh oh no. I guess that was Uncle Waldo. Uncle Waldo's the goose because they they clearly tried to cook him and he didn't want to be cooked, and so then they threw him out with the pot that he was in. I think it's because he drank all the white wine. Well, he did, and because that was the way they were going to prepare him. And so when everybody meets up with him, they're like, and this is Uncle Waldo who we're trying to find. And he is totally drunk. And it's like, it's not like in, in like kids movies where they're just like, oh, you must not be feeling good or you must be dizzy. Like they look at him and they're just like, yeah, you've been hitting the sauce really hard. And he's, he points to the menu and he's like, isn't this such a travesty? They were going to cook me. I've been basted in white wine. And O'Malley says, yeah, I'd say marinated. <laughs> And they all keep saying that, like, yeah, marinated. (laughs) Uncle Walt has been marinated. Like, they keep saying the joke over and over. Well, even his nieces are like, oh, you're drinking again, Uncle Waldo. Like, this is a problem for him because he's a goose with a drinking problem. Did you recognize Uncle Waldo's voice? No, I didn't. Who was that? 
His name was Bill Thompson. He was the voice of Smee and the voice of the White Rabbit. Oh, I did not notice that. He wasn't putting on as much of the like, like he was using more of his his natural voice, even though he was acting drunk. But this was the last movie he was ever in. Oh, did he die? I'm sorry, he did. Why are you? I don't always... know. Just, these are the facts. These are the only facts I could find on this movie. Why do you always tell me about people's deaths? It's only two this episode. <laughs> two this episode. You're like the harbinger of death. That's not the harbinger. The harbinger says that death is coming. You're the future past harbinger present perfect of past persons demise i'll take that as a compliment i i could not find a lot of facts for this movie and also adding to that i had not seen this movie before so i can't even say like hey remember that scene that we all know and love because i had no idea what was going on well there's only one scene that everybody knows and loves it's the one where everybody wants to be a cat. That's, That's like right. the main song of this. Even though I know there's other songs in this movie, everybody knows that one song because it's the psychedelic scat cat song. So after a, a long day of walking and waddling with geese and everything, O'Malley takes the cats to his apartment, which is kind of a ramshackle shack that's just been abandoned. Just a house that's in the poor neighborhood, I guess. And as soon as they're approaching, he's like, it's a nice, quiet place. And all of a sudden, like, jazz music starts blaring from it. And he says, like, oh, I guess Scat Cat's here now. It sounds like he's got a party going on. Well, he's like, we can go somewhere else. And Duchess (laughs) is like, oh, heck no. Like, I want to go to the party. And it's kind of cool because she's, like, she's seeing a different side of the world. And they're not, like, hammering the point down. But she's like, that music, I've never heard anything like that, and I really want to hear more. And so it's like 1910s in France and, you know, the beginning of French jazz. And she's just like, I'm interested. I'd like to see it because, you know, she's classically, she, she knows classical music. And so she's like, yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, let's go check it out. So they enter the house, and that's when the big party is going on. And they're singing, everybody wants to be a cat. So we get to see all the kittens learn all the instruments that the jazz cats are playing. And they're just like, oh, like the like Burlice, Burloose. I don't know. The one kitten that starts with a B, he had been playing the piano before, but then he starts playing the piano like jazz music. And so he's like, oh, look at me. And we even get to find out like in the middle of the song, Duchess plays the harp. And so she slows it down a little bit and starts singing this super sexy song about being turned on by jazz. That's a really cool part. And I was I was going to point that out, too, because up until that point, it's kind of like one of those like firehouse jazz and just like, whoa, we're all having a good time. And it's like a little raucous and they're like doing different things, like hitting the instruments with random objects. And then when she starts playing and it's interesting because she's in her lyrics saying, hey, I like it if you just kind of like play that trumpet down in a low baritone, slow it down, like make it easy. And so she's playing the harp with it. It's a sort of cultural combination there that's kind of cool where instead of it just being like hitting it hard and just like, yeah, we're all going crazy to like, you can make this really fun and sweet and sexy too. And there are all the other cats are like looking at her and they all start like drooling, just like, ooh, yeah, this is nice. Yeah, like they'd never heard that combination of classic and jazz. And so all the other cats, like, they're like, Bleh. and O'Malley's like, this one's mine, this one's mine, this one's mine, back off. So here comes another fun fact. And I'm sorry, uh, nobody died. It's not and he's dead. Nobody's dead. I swear if someone dies. dies. No. So remember how in the last episode we were talking about how I thought King Louis was Louis Armstrong and it wasn't? Uh-huh. Scat Cat was designed to be Louis Armstrong. They were trying really hard to get Louis Armstrong in this one. And he still couldn't do it. Actually, in this one, he wanted to, but he got kind of sick during it. Like, he was going through, like, some sickness. He oh, did he die? That. Not from that. 
But they ended up getting uh, Scatman Crothers to play him. And so even though like the character is actually modeled after Louis Armstrong, it's got gap teeth, he's got kind of a big belly and, and everything. They brought in Scatman Crothers and they kept telling him, do it more like Satchmo. That was Louis Armstrong's nickname. And so he'd do a line and they'd say, no, do it more like him. And then do a line and say, no, even more. So he's basically in this doing an impersonation of the person that couldn't get. Once this song ends, we get a very sweet scene where Duchess has tucked the kittens into bed and she and O'Malley are standing on the windowsill and they're like, you know, we're really compatible. O'Malley admits he loves the kittens and he loves her and he wants them all to be together. And Duchess even says like, oh, well, your house is nice. It just needs a little feminine touch. And he's like, oh, you're going to sign up? (laughs) And then he's even saying things in this conversation about saying, I like you. I like your kids. I think the only thing you're missing is they need a father. And this is him like really kind of selling like, I'm ready to settle down. I'm ready to be a family man. Like, just kind of be here with me. But then she's saying, we're we're on our way home. We have to go back home because we, we belong to Madam. And he gets like really upset at that for a moment. He says... What are you talking about? Like, your life is more than just being somebody's pet. And she's like, you don't get it. Like, we are in a different situation. We're not just house pets. We are family. And you believe that, too, because you've seen how concerned Madam gets when when the cats are gone. Like, they are her family. And not even just in a crazy cat lady sense. Like, she really does care for them. No, I mean, it's a crazy cat lady sense. It's just a rich crazy cat lady. But I mean, like, she's doesn't seem that crazy in this context. She actually seems like the person who's the most put together of all the humans that we see. No. No, she's leaving her will (laughs) to five cats. No. None of the humans are rational. One of them's like a 107-year-old attorney. Another one's a butler that won't kill cats but wants to kill them. And then one is a crazy old woman who's leaving her entire, like, millions and millions of francs to five cats. (laughs) Nobody is sane in this movie. Point taken. So in this conversation, though, you would think in any other kind of story that O'Malley just being kind of thrown over for somebody else, he'd say, fine, I don't care. Go off with them. Because that's usually how at this point the conflict works. But he's actually really sweet. And he says, well, I just want to let you know that I've had a really great time with you. And like, I'm going to miss you. And I really hope I can see you again. It's really nice. Yeah, because even though he's kind of like a rough and tumble alley cat, he's an upstanding gentleman. And then the kids who had been listening to it, they're like, oh, well, we almost had a dad. Yeah, it's really sad, like, because Marie, like, starts to hear this, so she wakes up her brothers, and they're all watching at the windowsill, and then Toulouse is like, we almost had a dad. Guess we might as well go back to bed. And they just, like, turn and go back to bed, and it's like, oh. (laughs) It flashes forward to the next morning, and they finally get to the house, O'Malley is looking around. He's like, wow, you really do come from a good neighborhood. This place is amazing. And they're like, yeah, whatever. It's home. And they're trying to get in. At this point, Edgar is already celebrating that he's going to be getting the fortune, even though Madam is still very much alive and well. (laughs) Yeah, like what? And this is another one. Okay, let's say he actually like killed the cats. Let's say he just took them out and beat them with a bat. That's terrible. But like, (laughs) let's say he did that. Okay. What stops her from getting, like, four more cats and then giving them her will? Like, I don't understand his thought process or lack thereof. But he's celebrating. He's opening a bottle of champagne and Roquefort sees who's been searching. And it's been so, it was so cute when he's like, 
he's talking to Fru-Fru the horse, and he's like, it's my duty to go find them. And he puts on a little tiny raincoat and a little tiny, like, hunter's cap and goes out into the world. So he finally sees them coming home, and he's like, you know what? oh, great. What? He's like the precursor to, like, American Tales. He puts on, like, a Sherlock Holmes outfit. I have even better news for you. <gasps> he is a precursor, I think, to Basil of Baker Street, the great mouse detective, which we will be watching because that's a Disney movie. Uh, which is even earlier than the American tale. Uh, the Sherlock Holmes mouse. Yeah, he is. I wrote that down. I was like, oh, he's like a Sherlock Holmes mouse. So we will be reviewing I that for our podcast. I forgot that movie entirely existed. I'm so excited for that because Radigan is one of my favorite villains in all of Disney. So... Roquefort sees them coming down the street, and he's like, fantastic, they're coming home. And then he freaks out because stupid Edgar was talking to the horse and doesn't realize that the horse and the mouse know English, or I guess French in this. And he's just like, do you want to know a secret? I got rid of the cats. And so they're just like, oh, no. So when he sees the cats coming down the street, Roquefort's just like, uh, I got to keep them away from the house because Edgar is going to murder them. And so he tries to do all he can to stop him starting by tying his shoes together. So when the cats start pawing at the door and meowing, Edgar gets up and just trips, and that's about it. Yeah, but he still gets the cats before <laughs> Madam does. But the cats have already said goodbye to O'Malley, just like, all right, we'll see you later, and he starts walking down the street. Edgar opens the door, sees the cats, scoops them up in a bag, and throws them in the oven. Okay, and one thing we forgot to mention at the beginning was that when the cats first kind of wake up by the river during the storm... Toulouse was like, I had a dream that Edgar threw us here. And Duchess is like, no, no, no. Edgar loves us. He would never do this. He makes us milk. So then later, when Edgar sticks him in a bag and throws him in the oven, all you hear is Toulouse saying, I told you it was Edgar. And all the other cats go, shut up. (laughs) So Rockford ends up going outside. He catches O'Malley. And he's like, listen, blah, blah, blah. This is what's happening. They're in the oven. You know, go help them. And O'Malley's like, cool, I'll go back there. You need to go get the alley cats. And Rockford's like, <laughs> like it's like, like a retro scratch. I don't think you understand. I'm a mouse. And he's, and he's like, like, it's cool. Just tell them my that I sent you. And then he's go, like, go, tell go. them my name. And he's like, what's your name? And he's like, bye. And I, he's like, oh. <laughs> he heard it one time when Duchess said, go find O'Malley. So, of course, it's like fresh on his brain. He's like, hey, O'Malley. But then he doesn't remember his name. He gets to the alley. The cats immediately find him. They're like, you're in the wrong place. And they're just like digging their claws into his neck. And he says, well, I I was sent here by a cat. And they're like, that's a really weird excuse to try to get away from us. And he's like, yeah, it was O'Brien. They're like, no. They're like, strike one. And there was one claw. So he keeps saying these. O'Grady, oh, strike two. He keeps saying these O names. And of course, none of them are picking up that it could be maybe the only cat among them that has an Irish name. Do you mean O'Malley? They're just like, if you don't say the word, we're going to eat you. Somehow, five of us are going to eat one mouse. So like, so he strikes out. The cats are like, all right, you're gone. And Rockford's like, that darn O'Malley. I'm so bad at him. And they're like, O'Malley? Like O'Brien or O'Grady was that far from O'Malley? And then they're like, that changes everything. And then they go running off. This leads into my favorite visual gag of the entire movie. The alley cats all run off in a clump and Rockford's like wait for me and so he's running behind them so it looks like this mouse is chasing all of these cats and there's like 20 of them and they're running down the streets of Paris France they run past this restaurant and there's a guy there like 
eating lunch and having a bottle of wine. And he's like drinking his wine and all this runs by. And he just like, he goes like, and he looks at the scene and the wine and the scene and the wine. And he dumps his wine out on the street. Thus beginning is wine you peer upon the screen. (laughs) Except that it was a giant waste of wine. So I mean, he poured it in the street. It's French wine from the 1910s. Yeah. Do you know how much that would be worth now? Oh my gosh, so much. So much. (laughs) I even pointed out this time, it's like, well, I mean, we saw a goose that had been drinking white wine, but the wine did not appear upon the screen. So this was the first time in this that we saw the wine. Yeah, because the man like upends the bottle into the street. I guess it was a waste of wine, so it was like wine you said upon the screen. (laughs) Back at the mansion, O'Malley is fighting with Edgar in the barn for some reason. Like he's grabbed all of the cats and he's put them into a trunk and he is going to have the trunk picked up. It's He's mailing it to Timbuktu. Why does everyone want to send everything to Timbuktu? I think it's supposed to be the thing where it's like, that's the furthest place from anything. I feel like no matter what, if you want to get rid of something or send a body, you send it to Timbuktu. I guess. Like, I imagine Timbuktu is similar to like, Halloween Town 2, where all this, the lost stuff goes. It's just this country where, like, everything that you never want to see again just sits there. So, like, the mail gets dropped off, but it's just, like, placed there. Like, it's just a empty land full of things. So, I've never seen Halloween Town 2, but I envisioned Sakar from Thor Ragnarok that has all the portals that just dump all the trash from the universe. It's similar to that, except that, like, in Halloween Town 2, everything's sad and gray because it's all lost things. A lot of socks. There is. There's an entire pile. There's a whole bit where they fall into stock. I would socks, imagine. but only, like, left socks. What about pocket change? No. No. That would hurt if you fell into that. But socks, like, were you trying to kill a bunch of kids? No, I'm not trying to kill You didn't say that they fell into them. Right? I just said there was a whole bit where they fell into left socks. Oh, okay. And we just fall into this whole bunch of quarters. Ah, now my limbs are broken. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's the illogical thing we're talking about here. How could you be so ridiculous? Edgar is pushing the trunk, and O'Malley is trying to push on the other side of it like he's going to actually do anything about that and then instead decides he's just going to leap at Edgar's face they start tussling Edgar starts chasing him around with a pitchfork and they do this weird little fake out where O'Malley is pinned up against the wall Edgar throws the pitchfork and they cut to Fru-Fru the horse screaming (laughs) yeah and then it cuts back to O'Malley and he's in between the prongs of the pitchfork that's like stabbed into the wall he's like sucked in so he's like (laughs) then like and Edgar just goes about his business Then the other alley cats come in and start attacking him. Which, like, okay, so once I saw that he had, like, thrown a pitchfork at O'Malley, it made me realize, like, okay, so he's willing to, like, kill O'Malley. Why does he not just stab them when they're in the bag? Like, I don't understand the lengths he's willing to go without killing them. He's even going to ship them to Timbuktu. He's paying somebody to to send live cats to the other side of the world. I imagine, like, it is not inexpensive to ship an entire trunk to Timbuktu. Like, the last time we shipped a series of books to Gillian, it cost me, like, 30 bucks. And that was just to Washington State. But this is... Timbuktu is way farther. But this is, like, a whole trunk. Okay, I also have a follow-up question. Where is Timbuktu? I want to say it's in the Himalayas, but I am bad at geography. 
I feel like I want to Google it, but then I also feel like Timbuktu is not a real place. Like Shambhala? Sure, I can make up words too, like blah, blah, blah. No, that's a real thing. Like Atlantis. Like Oh, Atlantis is real. El Dorado. I, I saw both those movies. They're very real. <laughs> we're going to watch one for the podcast. I know, but we're not going to get to watch El Dorado. Unless we have a guest on, like when we saw the Tinkerbell movie. That's true. I feel like that would be the one Gillian would pick. If any of you want to watch El Dorado with us, we we will take volunteers. Pause for volunteers. Definitely forgot what we were talking about. The cats start attacking Edgar. While he's distracted, Roquefort jumps on the chest and starts kind of like trying to crack the padlock like it's a bank safe. And he's like trying to listen for the clicks. And at one point he just screams, quiet! And like Edgar being attacked by cats, all of them freeze in place. Until Roquefort can unlock. Click, 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 click. And then he opens it up. He's like, okay, thanks. And then they go back to fighting. <laughs> so then eventually it comes to a point where Fru-Fru kicks Edgar in the chest. So a horse just kicked a man in the chest. He fell into the now empty chest. They lock him in. They lock him in. And then immediately the movers come and ship Edgar off to Timbuktu. So essentially Edgar died. Because he was in a trunk and could not breathe. Well, I think he was dead when a horse kicked him. (laughs) All of his ribs just pierced his insides. Essentially, the animals were able to do what Edgar couldn't and commit murder. It flashes forward to a couple days later or however much time later. And Madam is talking to her lawyer. She has him over as she's trying to set up uh, taking a picture like, you know, with the with the curtain and, and the big flashbulb. She's trying to take a picture of her family of cats while she's talking to her lawyer and saying, oh, it's so sad about Edgar, how he just left without saying anything. It's a pity. Like, I think he would have stayed if he knew about the will. <laughs> Which, again, was like all of a like rational thinkers were like, again, you only have to take care of four or five <laughs> cats and you get like, A bajillion dollars. And she's like, obviously, you would have stayed if you knew about that. But, eh, he ended up leaving, which he's probably, there's somebody in Timbuktu opening a chest and finding a corpse. So the picture is, of course, including O'Malley, because now he has a fancy collar. But even during this, she's asking the lawyer, she's like, what do you think? O'Malley looks really nice. Do you think he should be part of the family? I think so. So it's like, that's when it's kind of made official. Well, and she even turns to Duchess and she's like, I think you picked a good one. After they're done, they start hearing jazz music coming from downstairs. And the lawyer who's like was big into dancing at the beginning, he's just like, ooh, that's some really cool music. Oh, that's really nice. Where do you think that's coming from? And she's like, it's coming from downstairs because I've also opened up my whole house for all of the alley cats. And it goes downstairs and it's that psychedelic sort of everybody wants to be a cat, except it's in her living room with her fancy furniture all being used as bongos and stuff. And the drunk goose arrives. The two dogs arrive. The horse sticks his head in or her head in and starts singing along. She's singing everybody wants to be a cat. The dogs are howling in the distance and... And there you go. That's how it ends. And I guess there was a whole thing with the dogs where one of them just kept wanting to be in charge. And at the end, he's just like, this seems like the end. But it's only the end when I say it's the end because I'm in charge. And then like the words the end like fly in and hit him in the face. And he's like, well, that's the end. Yeah, I wasn't (laughs) a huge fan of all the like visual like buffoonery. 
I don't think it was as well done as other movies. Yeah, it was very silly and very strangely paced. Like, we didn't even cover the whole thing where Edgar decides to go back to the scene where he left them because he's trying to get his hat and umbrella back for some reason. That's like the thing that implicates him in the crime. But this whole, that whole scene. He becomes a haystack. I don't That whole scene takes like 20 minutes. Yeah, it wasn't necessary. In a movie that's only an hour and 20 minutes, they devoted a fifth of the movie to this like scene where he's trying to creep around these two sleeping dogs that he could easily just shoot. Again, (laughs) like if you're going to go so far as to like sort of off animals, but then you don't all the way off the animals. Like I don't understand like where is... It Where seems, is Edgar's moral compass? It seems like that really should strangely be the actual lesson, where it's like, don't mess with animals unless you want to go all the way. It's also weird because he intentionally went back to get his hat and umbrella so that no one would notice he was at the scene of the crime, but no one's investigating anything. Yeah. Like, nobody cares. It doesn't say, like, in the news article, like, oh, a mysterious hat and umbrella were found. It, it just says cats are missing. And that's it. And, like, the madam, I think, was the one who was like, find my missing cats. Like, so nobody's, like, investigating. So he's, like, going back to get his hat and umbrella, which, like, a very nondescript hat and umbrella. Just black hat, black umbrella. I I don't Like, maybe if it was, like, the license plate to his motorcycle at the scene of the crime, that might be a thing. But he... (laughs) But, like, DNA isn't even a thing. So it's not like, my hair is in that hat. It's, like... It's just a hat. It's like that comedy bit where it's like he just needs to not be at the scene of the crime during that time period. So I don't know. Like the visual gags were not, they did not strike up my alley cats, man. I I will say that the, strangely, the the, just the cats were the most endearing part. It's like their interaction. Well, Marie was. Marie and the, the two other dumb cats and... You know, they played together, but they weren't very cat-like. They were very puppy-like through the whole thing. It all just kind of felt like they were really dogs. Well, that's what made them enjoyable. I guess so. Because if it was a movie about cats, they would just hide in the furniture and then try to murder you. Or they would hide in the furniture. Like, they'd burrow into it, and then they would, like, sit over you as you're trying to sleep and suck your soul out of your mouth. So you see, we don't have any cats. (laughs) (laughs) Because we both still have our souls. So are those your, your final thoughts on it, that you just... Weren't into it. I mean, I mean, I, I wasn't yeah. against it. Like, it wasn't like I was just like, oh, this movie's the worst. I need it to be over. It was just like, I guess in regards to like some other movies, I just didn't enjoy the like buffoonery as much because I don't think it was as well done. But I did enjoy the relationships. Like the relationships reminded me of Lady and the Tramp. But I didn't think the story was flushed out well enough. Through the whole thing, I was thinking, like, this is a this feels like a much lower stakes version of 101 Dalmatians, but they were like, but we did the dog thing, we can't just do that again, so let's just, like, put little pointy ears on them and make them cats. Although, here is my final fun fact mm. about this. Mm. Mm. This is based on a true story. <laughs> no. Okay, no, well, it's not. That's no. like every horror movie is okay. based on a true story. Okay, well, not, like, explicitly, like, beat for beat that it's the same, It was a story that was written based on a newspaper article that there was a very wealthy Parisian woman who left her entire fortune to her cats in the 1910s. Like, that's it. Just from that that, that little blurb, they created a whole story of just like, well, what happens next? So you're telling me the story that it's based on the true story of was not even the same country. Not no, even... it was. It was It was Paris. It was the same thing. You just said Peru. No, Parisian. Like, not Peruvian. Oh, I thought you said Peru. <laughs> <laughs> 
was like, so it's not even the same country. Not Peruvian, Parisian. Oh, I didn't hear you. I thought you said Peru. Yes. There was a French aristocratic woman who left her whole fortune to her cats. Oh, and that okay. was it. It's just like the law. Well, line then everything is obviously the same. No, nothing else is the same. <laughs> and her dumb butler ended up as and a corpse. Her butler didn't realize that the horse could speak French. Can someone please look up where Timbuktu is? I'll oh, wait. Why? We, we can Google that. I That's what I'm telling you to do. I said somebody. Who else is in this room? I thought you were talking to the listeners. They're, other, they're listening Besides to us. Besides the ghost over the, my corner. It's in Don't Africa. scare yourself. You scared yourself. I'm scared myself. You scared yourself. Shoot. You're now scared. I can't sleep tonight. Can you look up where Timbuktu is? I'm serious. Google facts with Joe Payo. These are real-time facts, man. I don't have my phone near me. You want to know where Timmy Neutron is from? No. That, that was. Do you say Timmy Neutron? Isn't it Jimmy Neutron? <laughs> That's why it was autocorrected in my phone. Wait, your phone <laughs> autocorrected to Timmy Neutron? Timmy Neutron. How many times have you been Googling Jimmy Neutron? That's not even Disney. Timbuktu is in Mali, which is in Africa. <gasps> so I said yeah, Africa. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was in like the Himalayas, but that's not at all Welcome to the Himalayas. That was this a preview is... many podcasts ahead. Mali is, is just south of Algeria, so it's like a little south of North Africa. I had a dream about South Africa the other day. Yeah, you dreamt that it was in South America. Yeah, I definitely dream placed that somewhere very far away. No, no, no. In my head, in my dream, South Africa was in that same place. But for some reason, Peru was right next to it. It was Perusian. I feel like I've talked about Peru more today than any other day. You have. Well, because I had that weird dream about Peru. I know. All right. I don't have any more thoughts about this movie. (laughs) That was a weird geographical tangent. (laughs) Who would have thought we would talk about geography with the Aristocats? So, uh, do you want to know what our next movie is? Oh, yeah, I do, actually. Our next movie is 1973's Robin Hood. Hmm, all right. Okay. Sure. (laughs) I mean, I'm not saying no, I'm just saying, like, I'm not like, yay or no, I'm just like, meh. This whole era of Disney animation kind of blurs together with me for some reason. I, and I think it's because a lot of like the animation styles are reused. I've seen videos online that kind of show like that they reuse some of the Aristocats like everybody wants to be a cat animations during Robin Hood when they're all like dancing and singing in the forest. Like they just kind of reuse the same animations. Then there's other things like the, the, the southern hillbilly dogs in this. Like one of them is very obviously the same person who does the voice of the Sheriff of Nottingham. Because he's got the same kind of southern twang like this. See, I feel like thinking about Robin Hood, I'm distinctly remembering, like, Ka is in it, and then somebody, like, sucks jewels out of a ring. Yeah. um, That's all I remember. Little John does, but I I don't know if he's the same person as Baloo, but he definitely has the same, like, like, animation stuff. Like, he's got the same body. The snake is in it. Yeah, he's like the, the, the King John's advisor. Excuse me, is it Winnie the Pooh? Is it voiced by Winnie the Pooh? It might be. I don't remember, oh but it, could, it very well could be. What if we just watch it right now and we do back-to-back podcasts? Ooh. Do you want to stay up for that? No. We could. That would be a That'd weird be ambitious. Night. Back-to-back. We'd be so loopy. And we'd be so many bottles of wine it. in. No, I don't think I can make it. <laughs> be like, Robin Hood, bows and arrows, ah. Well, any final thoughts for you, dude? Well, uh, I, I kind of went into this with uh, no expectations because I'd never seen it. Then again, now watching it, it's just like, I, I didn't understand how little of it was actually like all the cats. I didn't realize that it was such a small sort of cast of characters than what I had anticipated. And again, like I thought the timing of it, 
of how like how much time they spent from scene to scene. There were just very, very odd choices in that. Like they spent a lot of time with the hillbilly dogs, but I thought it was okay. I mean, if I were rating it from one to 10, I'd say this is like a six and a half. It's not bad, but if I'm ranking or something like that, I'd say it's, it's, it's along the bottom of what we've seen during this podcast. Yeah. I thought I would like it more. I didn't. Yeah. That's that. So final thoughts are meh plus. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note. On that note. Cheers. cheers.